Hello, everyone. Welcome back to our encounter study. This week, it's August 7th. We're at lesson number 10 for Ecclesiastes 2, 9 through 17, and it's entitled Vanity. Hmm. Vanity, vanity, vanity. Are you vain? Is it all vain? Is it all in vain? So vain. We'll find out. We're going to have I a probably think this lesson is about me. I'm so vain. Deck. <laughs> nice. I love it. Feel like there's a song. Yeah. Um, <laughs> if you have not joined us before, my name is Becky Zardi. I'm the director of ministry with women for the Ministry Council for the Cumberland Presbyterian Church. Thank you for being here today. I am one of your lovely co-hosts, and I am joined today by my partner in crime. My name's Chris Fleming. I'm the director, no, the coordinator of adult ministries for the Ministry Council of the Cumberland Presbyterian Church. And yeah, uh, welcome. Glad you're back listening to us. I have thoroughly enjoyed the first lesson from Ecclesiastes. I love this lesson. I'm a yeah. big fan of the book. Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes is a fun book. Before. Yeah. And if you have not joined us before, or even if you have, if you have not hit those buttons down below, like, and subscribe, please do that right now. Make sure that you're notified of new content as it becomes available. And thank you again for joining with us today. So before we jump into our scripture and our lesson today, let's have our prayer for illumination. Lord, in our study today, help us see the essential things. Help us not be swayed by worldliness, but give us a passion for you. Amen. It's a good way to start it off today. I think we were talking about that. We were. Mm. Hmm. Good discussion today, teachers and those who are joining us. So hang in for this. So Dr. Estes starts us off with this discussion question. He says, do you know your family history and where you originally came from? Do you know the first names of your great grandparents? Do you? Um, John. Okay, um, John, we got and, one. And then uh, my great grandparents. Yeah. I know John. Okay. That's about it. Yeah. I can tell you her last name. Oh, well, she I can was do that great, on all of them. Great grandma Janicky. Okay. Uh, but that's about all I got for you. Yeah. <laughs> now, okay. as far as like family history and where we originally came from, that's interesting. And I'm sure anybody who has done Ancestry, I'm sure you all have heard the stories about people who've done like Ancestry.com or 23andMe and found out their DNA didn't match and all these interesting stories come out. I, I kind of have a similar story in my family as well. Um, we knew my dad was adopted by his stepmother, his adoptive mother, um, but we had no idea that he had siblings. And when I did um, my ancestry.com, when I did my DNA, found out that he had, he was the middle of five children. One to five. Was, yeah, which was really interesting to find out. And there's some other stuff that I won't get into, but, um, but with the ancestry, because of this, we always thought his birth mother was Italian. And I found out through my ancestry that I am not 
Italian. No, I'm sorry. Accent, I, I, I'm not at all. I was really sad. That really made me cry. Um, because for my entire life, I had assumed that I was Italian. That's where I got the dark hair and the dark eyes from, but I'm not, I'm actually, um, the vast majority of my DNA is Germanic. Yeah. I didn't know that. And I was really upset because I told my husband, I didn't look very good in Lederhosen. So And you lost your skills at cooking meatballs, but you like to take over the world every once in a while. Is that (laughs) well, once in a while, like pinky in the brain? (laughs) (laughs) We're going to take over the world. Yeah. So, um, on my grandmother's side, my family thinks a lot of themselves. Um, they are weavers, and um, you right outside of Asheville, North Carolina, was Weaver is Weaverville, North Carolina, and uh, okay, and so they. When they came over from England, a um, bunch of judges and lawyers and just, you know, they, uh, them high people, themselves. they are. Mm-hmm. And, uh, they, uh, they actually wrote a book. The guys, the original guy that came over from England was Jacob. And so they used the not too subtle title, the tribe of Jacob to describe the family. How funny. Yeah. <laughs> the tribe yeah. of Jacob. Okay. The tribe of Jacob. Very good. So anyway, that that's my. Uh, so you do have some some family history then that you're aware of. Yeah, yeah. I don't really know my dad's side. They were they were um, pretty on the poor side. They ended up in the Appalachian sure. part of North Carolina. Um, gotcha. So, anywho. Okay. That's so that's good. Interesting. So I think the whole reason Doctor Estes really starts us off with this discussion question, and and talking in the introduction. He really says that by and large, the particular contributions of our forebears made to the world remain a mystery. I mean, that was a great point because I don't know. I mean, other than I know where my great grandparents emigrated from, I really don't know anything about them. I don't know anything about their lives or what they did. You know, I knew they farmed the land, but outside of that, I, I, I really don't know. And beyond that, I certainly have no idea like what my ancestors did when, before they emigrated to the United States. So um, part of this conversation today in our charming book of Ecclesiastes, which I do love charming. dearly, um, is just an understanding that what we do most likely won't be remembered. No, actually, one of the things that I found somewhat, I mean, humorous, but then enlightening and kind of sad all, all together was during the summer when we had a lot of the uh, monuments getting taken down or whatnot. Yeah. Um, just for the fun of it, I asked some of my kids and their friends if they even knew who some of these people were, had no clue. Like, right. Like, so it's like uh, these and these are the most important people in our in our history or have been considered important in our history and they don't even know who they are what they did what you know what era they were these kinds of things and so it does show how quickly that people people just forget we Um, forget we're you know we're forgetful race and so vanity vanity i mean like we work hard at our job knowing full well probably two years after we get fired everybody's gonna be like who's that guy that was charged the encounter you know yeah you put your heart and soul into things, but you're like, eh, let's keep a better perspective on this. Yes. Yeah. And so I think this is a conversation that we're going to kind of had with today. 
and teachers something, you know, great conversation starter in your class. Um, you know, most Sunday schools that, that I have attended, most of the people are a little bit older. So maybe it would be a great conversation. Like, what do you remember about your ancestors, your great grandparents and what did they do? And, and do your children know this information? Do your grandchildren know this information? Good way to start it off. Yes. So exploring the scripture, it's all Hevel. Hevel, I do like Hevel. That's I also a favorite word that I have. Yeah, that is one of my favorite words. So, so Dr. Estes really starts off with the word vanity, meaningless, utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. It's all futility, useless. But then Hevel, I, yeah. I really do like the idea of Hevel. Um, and, and what that means in the Orthodox tradition. Yeah, because I think um, vanity is correct, meaningless is correct, futile is correct, useless is correct, he even says absurd is, I mean, like, yeah. and so when you have that multifaceted, you, you don't want to shortchange your, your words like that, so Hevel's a good one. Hevel is a great one. Yeah, and it says, Kohalas here is saying that he views life as if it were a vapor, like breath that once breathed out is gone. And in the weekly email that you get, there should be a link to the Bible Project video on Ecclesiastes. And that's really what they start off with is the word Hevel. And I love their description of this because it, it makes it make more sense to me. Like when you're standing out in the winter time and it's cold and you breathe out, you have this mist. It is something that is visible. It is something there that is present, but then it's gone. You can't grab a hold of it. You can't hang on to it. It just, it's gone. And this is really kind of what Hevel is talking about that it's here, but it's not permanent. It's not something that's going to stay. It's, it's just, it's a momentary thing. And when we think about our lives, and what we do, it's momentary, you know, I mean, we're here mm -hmm. in the present, which is a beautiful place to be, but it is momentary. It is not, we're not permanently stationed here at this point in time. Yeah. So, so, so yeah, Kohelth gets into that, right? And I think on page yeah. 66, he says, um, kind of the middle of that first paragraph on 66. So this element of futility and meaningless hangs over the book of Ecclesiastes like a cloud. All of this suggests that the word hevel is used metaphorically in various ways in the book of Ecclesiastes. Um, and so um, while it hangs over, and, and Dr. Estes in the sentence for that talks about like everything we do is like a chasing after the wind, right? Mm -hmm. But even if you're chasing it, this is where I, I think Ecclesiastes can help us. Even a chasing after the wind, you're experiencing something and trying to reach it. You may sure. never get what you want, but it's not like you're static. You've experienced things along the way, right? Yes. And then you couple that with what we said last week about Ecclesiastes kind of wants us to, to appreciate the present moment. Just, yeah, right now. And even if you're ultimately, even if your goal or whatever you're trying to achieve, you ultimately fail, you still got... 30, 40, 50, 60, 70 years, however long God gives you on this earth, that you've done something, right? Something of meaning and purpose. Yeah. I think that's important to, uh, I mean, something happens even yes. at the end, you know, during the, the middle. I've always, yeah. like, one of the things my kid, uh, oldest kid, he hates this because I used to tell him he always, he was very 
in goal oriented. And I'm like, okay, it's about the destination, not the journey, right? How do you get to places, right? Like, enjoy the time as you're going. It's like the Lord of the Rings. Mm -hmm. It's like, yeah, let's get there. But there's so much that happens in between the starting from the Shire and, you know, destroying the ring. And that's the interesting story, really. It's like 19 hours to get there. (laughs) Yeah. You know, when you, when you think about your own life, if, if knock on wood and, and pray to God that if today was my last day, is it right now that I'm going to read that is the important part of my life or is it all the things that I've learned on the way? It's the journey itself. You know, I mean, it's, that's, it's all the awesome stuff that we do in between point A and point B. You know, what was it that somebody said? It's um, on your tombstone, you have a birth date and death date, but what's really important about you is the dash in between. What happens in that dash? Yeah. Yep, exactly. It is true. And the, it, very true. So Koheleth can be, I mean, we really have to take Ecclesiastes and understand what Koheleth is trying to say to us. Because in the middle of, of page 66, Dr. Estes points out emptiness, meaningless, purposeless. You get the drift. Koheleth is not the cheeriest person on the block. He's not. And he's not. And when I read through what I read through Ecclesiastes, in my mind, I, I think Bible Project, they depict him as like a middle mid-aged critic, right? He's lived enough life to have experience, but he's not quite the older wise person ish just he's kind of he's getting there he's getting there but he he's looking back on all this stuff and just going it's all meaningless it's all purposeless why why in the world did we do all this and in my mind I kind of picture like the the emo or the grunge kid right that's all decked out in black and just be like ah yeah life is terrible (laughs) who cares life is sad like a little eeyore just kind of wandering around life is a very good awful this little black cloud that's just hanging above his head you know and i find that very interesting but he dr estes also says the writer of ecclesiastes has put his finger on what we moderns might term the human predicament that is the dilemma of sentient beings with awareness of our own mortality and the desire for meaning and happiness in life yeah so that's kind of where we are. We're, we're looking at, and, and I want to preface this with too, that in our culture, the desire for meaning and happiness in our life is very different from other cultures around the world. Our culture is very individualistic and we are looking for meaning and happiness in our own personal lives. There are other cultures, like I'm thinking about the Japanese culture that is very corporate right? They are looking for what is the best for the community, not necessarily what is the best for the individual. So we have to be careful when we waste stuff out like this, because the way we see it is maybe not going to be applicable in a, in a different setting, depending hmm. upon who's in that setting. I think well, I'll get to that on page 67 in the next section. I think there's a sense in which we have to redefine what, what good or well is. Um, from a biblical perspective, but um, we'll get to that in a second. One of the things that when you brought up um, that uh, one, two, second full paragraph, third paragraph on page 66, emptiness, meaningless, purposelessness, Koheleth at the last sentence of that um, third paragraph, uh, Koheleth goes into some detail to show that 
Through wisdom, he has investigated the matter from a full range of activities, and the end result, in his mind at least, is the same conclusion, all is hevel. And I was trying to figure out a way in which to illustrate this. And I think the way that you can illustrate this and is through divorce. Like you have a couple mm -hmm. who has loved each other. They've been married 14, 15 years, have some kids, and they get divorced. I've, I've counseled people in this setting, and, and they are obviously, depending on which side, you know, they're, they're hurt. And they think we've been together for 15 years and none of it was real. But then you look back and you also remember you have kids and you had vacations and you experienced moments that you'd never experienced if you never got married. And then you'll have this, your, your life has changed because of the, you know, the marriage you were in, hopefully right. for the better, even if it ends bad. And so you could say that it was all meaningless. But then if you look back, you think, no, 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 no. It's not completely meaningless because you have maybe your children or you have a house or you have uh, experiences like going on vacation and seeing things that you otherwise would never have seen or whatnot. And so so that's the caution. That's that teenage kid to where it's like we're going to shortcut and say everything's meaningless. But there's so yeah. much in between that you haven't yet experienced. And I think or that you just don't need to you don't need to shortcut that. So like. um the phrase, the unexamined life is not worth living. True. But neither is the really critical examined everything has to be justified life. Because that just yeah. leads to just heartache and pain. Um, yeah. And so there's somewhere in between to where we can say, yeah, something's off here. But it's not bad. <laughs> right. right. So, yeah. so I think that's important that. And it goes yes. back to that refrain, as much as he says, meaningless, meaningless, everything is meaningless. He also says, enjoy the moment, like enjoy the work of your hands, um, mm -hmm. which I think we get into that. And he says that's meaningless too or whatnot, but whatever, yeah. you know, but like, I think there's something there. Like, don't be so critical all the time. It's, it's the balance. Yeah. It's, it's gotta be the balance, you know, yeah. the back and forth. That is the balance. All right. Are you ready to hit that reflection question? Let's do it. Okay, so the reflection question at the end of this section says, what are some of the things in your life which seem to be meaningless, vanity, or like smoke? Depends on how I look at them. There's some things that I enjoy that I know are meaningless. Like really, like me watching some TV shows or something that I just <laughs> thoroughly enjoy. Absolutely sure. meaningless, but I like them. Yeah. And then there's things that are deeply important, but I can't stand them. So I find them busy work. But I know it's not, but it's easy for me to assign it as busy work. Okay. Um, so that's kind of how I view, I mean, meaningless and smoke. I'm, I don't know. I'm not a, I'm not a nihilist. I'm not like a, I'm not completely cynical. I mean, I think everything. Are you do, sure? I am. Right. Okay. Just but checking. Like, <laughs> like even the smallest, I, I don't know. I think I've been shaped in my mind enough to know that even the smallest things that we do have an eternal significance. Um. So I guess it kind of depends on, I don't know. That's the best I can answer that question. It's not a very sad yeah. answer, but anyway. No, but I get you because there Bag, are some things it. that you do in life that you think are meaningless and that it's not until later in life that somebody says something to you about how something simple that you did or said or whatever years ago made a huge impact. 
on them and shaped their faith and their faith story. So, yeah, I think we have to be careful with that because some of the things that I think were like, who cares? Um, People have said to me how much those things have meant to them and shaped them. So, yeah, um, I don't know. Uh, I, I'm, I tend to be, mm, I tend to be on this side of the ditch where I overanalyze everything I do to death some days and I'm getting better. Praise God for that. But I was, I'm still struggle with everything I do in life has to have a purpose or reason. And, and so I don't always enjoy the present moment (laughs) because I think, that's meaningless. Why am I wasting my time on that? It's really sad. Like, you know, I probably, um, movie night's a great example of that. When we sit down to do a movie night, my husband and my children tell me I can't pick the movie because if I'm going to sit down and waste time, two hours watching TV, I want to do something educational. And they're just like, dude, I just want to watch a Marvel. (laughs) Yeah. I get that. So, so I, I, I'm struggling with balance sometimes myself. Yeah. So maybe uh, while you're talking, it kind of reminds me, maybe there's something here in, you know, God's providential care that you have the bookends of Job and Ecclesiastes. Maybe in the sense of Job is you don't have control over a lot of your life, which can make it feel kind of meaningless. But maybe if you emphasize that present moment thing. Yeah. You know, and don't be too, but anyway, there's a a sense in, we don't have a lot of control. We don't have um, nothing that we do. We're not God. Nothing we do is going to is gonna stand the test of time. Well, I mean, our acts of faith might in a particular sure. way, but, you know, um, but it is, there is, the things we do are, are purposeful and they, and they're good. And God created the world and it was good. And so there's, you can't just throw out the, as I say, the baby with the baptismal water, right? Like you just can't. Right. Anyway. Nope, you can't. That's, that's good. That's some deep thoughts for you teachers today. And we're going to think a little bit deeper as we deeper. dig deeper with our comparing scripture with scripture. What did you have in this section, Chris? What stuck out to you? Um, so I, I like, uh, Koheleth even more because like, um, I mean, I think we've all done, I don't know if we've all done it, but I think many people have decided like when they're kids, especially like, you know, they've done the youth group thing, get off in college and like, ah, this mm-hmm. is not killing me right now. So how about drink and running around that might do it. And so we j- dive into that. Um, and 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 not meant to be, you know, stupid. It's just we're trying to find something, right? Experiences and, and all yeah. these things. Find our purpose. So, and you can do that in a certain way. I like the way Dr. Rush's very last sentence on page 66. He tried to cheer the body with wine without giving up his mental capacity. Um, and I think you can do that, right? Like, I do think you can do that. I, you can, in the sense of, you can give yourself over to experiences without losing your mind, like without going just too stupid. Like, right. There's a sense in which you explore as a human uh, without abandoning intelligence. Yes. Everybody can do it, but some can. Yeah. Um, But also that led him like, you know, if, if this was Solomon, I mean, it did lead him to quite a few wives, which, 
that's not exactly why he got criticized. It was the fact that he turned his heart toward their gods or he yes. made room for their gods is what really got yeah. him in that one. But but it did end up being a dead end for him in that sense. Sure. Um, so then and so then like, OK, the drink didn't do it. The women hadn't done it. So now let's make my name with big buildings. Right. Big and, and learn. So he designs these beautiful gardens. He designs these palaces and he gets them built and all that good stuff. And and then he says, you know, so I became great and surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem and my wisdom remained with me. Whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. Fast forward a little bit. Then I considered all that my hand had done, the toil I had spent in doing it. And again, all was vanity and a chasing mm -hmm. after the wind. And there was nothing to be gained under the sun. But again, that's a very cynical way of seeing things because like even in this, he learned how to have a pretty good time. He did have. Well, that's true. Hopefully lots of wives, right? I guess is, I guess that's a good thing. But the point being is he he expanded his relationships. Like, so he didn't stay inside himself. Like we can't judge Solomon on our modern looking back. Right. What, right, I'm, right, what I'm right. going to say is he expanded himself. He became an architect or an engineer or whatnot. But I mean, like he was, he was continually, even though it was vanity in the end, he says, he was continually becoming better. So he was changing, right? right? Sure. So that, sure. that's at least something, I think. Well, yeah, there's, there's a great quote that I want to throw in here and it, and it may seem kind of silly, but Jim Carrey said this, he said, I think everybody should get rich and famous and do everything they ever dreamed of so they can see that it's not the answer. Yeah. Well, that, that could be good. Yeah, because maybe that's what's And, and that's good and bad because it's about the experience. I mean, obviously, Jim Carrey, who has made a lot of money doing his acting career, his film career, um, has experienced like Solomon. He has experienced these things and he realizes it's not the answer. I don't know if Jim Carrey is still searching for the answer, but Jim, if you're watching this, Jesus, that's all I got to tell you. <laughs> Right. Um, I also like on 67, that first full paragraph, middle of the page, it, it's a description of our culture. Like yeah. the more things change, the more they stay the same. We think that we're yes. in like a horrible, you know, Western society that's oppressive. And I mean, like, yeah, it's been like that since Ecclesiastes. I mean, listen, in the place of justice, there was that's wickedness. Before. Right. Yeah. Likewise, the religious institutions. Wickedness was there as well right? The tears of the oppressed go unconsoled and the oppressors retain their power. Lovers of money will not be satisfied with money, nor the lover of wealth with gain. This is also vanity. So like, even though we've been warned about this for centuries, we still do the same yeah. thing. Yeah, we repeat it over and over and over again. So um, let's yeah. see, what else do we have here? Kohelis tells us that he he did it all that he plumbed the depths he scaled the heights of human experience but there's no escape from the heaviness i love that the heaviness of life in a world and this is key in a world estranged from god yeah this is that's the key i think yes and then if you go down that next paragraph i'll echo that um middle of the next paragraph the prevailing wisdom said do the right thing and you will prosper prosper have a long life and happiness in a manner not unlike our own the accepted assumption of Kohelis day suggested that the good life was one of wealth and power and it's still like that today yeah yeah 
And I think we what, still think that's what's going to make the difference in the world is having all the money and all the power. And it's not. I mean, it's right. it's it is a tool. The wealth and the power are simply a tool. And, and I think that's the problem when we get to that often misquoted verse that, um, you know, people say that money is the root of all evil. That's not what it says. It says the love of money is the root of all evil. And that's because you've taken it beyond being a tool and turned it into an idol and wealth and power can be good tools to expand the kingdom to share the love of christ with others but but it can however, also yeah it can be turned into something not so good um so i've been working on some encounter lessons for the sermon on the mount and in matthew chapter five one of the things that uh I think one of the things Ecclesiastes does is to uplift everything anybody would think would be good. The money, the sex, the power, the, the fame, fortune, mm -hmm. whatever it may be. And says this is meaningless. Um, and it is, but, but if we redefine, like in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus tries to help us to redefine our values, to redefine yeah. what good is. To, and so then if you connect yourself with, uh, with God, if you connect yourself with Christ, you're able to redefine what good is. And maybe that'll help you in this world, right? So things, right. you know, if you get a bunch of riches, great. But your ultimate thing is your connection to God. If you don't yes. get a bunch of riches, eh, I'm still connected with God, right? Right. Ultimately, I think that's what Ecclesiastes gets to. But yes, yeah, know. I think Paul says that really well. He says, you know, I've learned to be content with much, and I've learned to be content with little, and it, whatever way it goes, you know, God's glorified. So that I think is what we need to really think about with Ecclesiastes. Is you know, you have this person who's tried everything, who's done everything in human existence that they possibly can to bring themselves joy and happiness and meaning to their life. And they realize that without God, it's, it's just nothing. It's nothing. Yeah. Um, yeah. So discussion question, discussion question. So how does Ecclesiastes challenge our modern culture? In what way did. does a biblical perspective challenge our current culture? <clears throat> These are good questions. Great question. But we've talked about them some in the past or in this past <clears throat> minute or two, but I think Ecclesiastes challenges our modern culture the way we just said. What yep. do you, whatever you think you're enjoying, just remember you're going to die and then your children aren't going to want the stuff that you value. No. Like it's going to end no. up at Goodwill. <laughs> so just know. Yes. yes. <laughs> right. Um, and so, so, so Ecclesiastes says, what are you doing running around these things? This is not going to do it. How does a biblical perspective challenge our current culture? I think it's, it's too much to even broach, but I do think, um, again, it's a challenging of the assumptions that we live on. And I think you can see a lot of them in the Beatitudes. Yeah. Uh, and then you can also see a lot of them, you know, with the phrase, I don't want to, I don't want to take it too much, but our very last discussion question is going to be Matthew 6, 33, like mm -hmm. seeking first the kingdom of God and then don't worry about it, but everything you need will be added to you at that point. But the first mm -hmm. and most important thing is that you pursue God. Right. 
not money, sex, power, fame, whatever. No, no, because it's fleeting. You know, I mean, all of that's fleeting. Think about um, all of your, all of these beautiful people that become internet famous, right? Mm -hmm. These TikTokers or whatever that they have their 15 minutes of fame, something funny happens and bam, all of a sudden they're famous. But then what? A lot of these people struggle with that because there was no buildup to that point. And all of a sudden everybody recognizes them wherever they go and it's overwhelming and too much. And so they struggle with that. But then if you have somebody that's used to that and all of a sudden they lose their fame because it's a different generation and whatever they did doesn't speak to them, to the new generation anymore and their fame goes down, then people struggle with that. I mean, think about all the um, alcohol and drug addiction that you see in entertainers, you know, between um, actors and singers and that sort of thing, because they're trying to maintain this level of fame that was, was a fleeting moment in time, but they don't know how to deal with when it goes away right. because they have based their entire life and existence on this, you know, and, and it's, it, it all goes back to doing that balance, yeah. you know, everything. <laughs> That I just, think, yeah, the balance thing, and that that propels yeah. us, I think, to that next section. I mean, that's pretty much what yeah. the next section. In fact, the discussion question is, how do you balance, right? But anyway, yeah, lead yeah. us, oh leader. <laughs> okay, so let's jump into learning from the scripture. So we have this this vanity that, or hevel, this futility, um, and and Kohelis really puts some interesting things in here, or even Paul does. He says. And from 1 Corinthians 15, 32, let us eat and drink for tomorrow you may die. And as in case in point, 1 Corinthians 15, 32, um, let's see, Romans 8, 21, one day creation itself will be set free from bondage and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. Romans 4, 17, in the letter to the Ephesians, the plight of the Gentiles is the futility of their minds. Yeah. So we have all these points in here of just, you know, like eat, drink, and be merry, but <laughs> which is good. Cause I think that's something that pulls from last week's lesson. You know, we talked about living in the present moment and understanding and being grateful and thankful for what you have today. And right now, because it may not be here tomorrow. This person that you're celebrating with may not be here tomorrow. Um, the stuff that you have may not be here tomorrow. For those of you that know, I moved in the last, well, we talked about last week, but I moved and we moved to a much smaller house. And, and so we donated like literally over a third of our household was donated and given away. And I pray that it blesses somebody else. Um, but it was there one day and gone the next because I just didn't have space for it anymore. So living in that present moment and enjoying it, but not, I don't know, not relying. I don't know how to say that. How do you, yeah, I don't know. Go, I don't know. Go for it. Let me, let me try to help here. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So second paragraph from the bottom, uh, Dr. Estes quotes um, Luke 12, 19. This is the parable of the rich fool who yeah. he's got everything he needs. Like he's good now, right? And so he says to himself, he says to his soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. He made it and then he didn't, right? And so, so I think that's a good illustration in this sense. To live in the moment doesn't mean to say, 
oh, I no longer have a responsibility to God and nature. But also to live in the moment doesn't mean that I need that one more dollar. So like uh, um, Rockefeller, uh, way back when one reporter asked him, how, how much more money do you possibly need? And he said, one more dollar. Whatever one more dollar is, I need one more dollar. That's not a way to live. But neither is, okay, I've made it. I have nothing else to live for. I'm just going to relax. There, yeah. There's your balance. Like, right? It's the, if you've gotten to a point where God has given you all the comforts that you you need, maybe turn your life to some mother work. One that something that you truly love and reflects the image of God in you to a extent, or now it's time for you to do that mission work, or now it's time to do whatever. So that's, I think that's the balance. It's the, I have to prepare for my future, but not to the exclusion of the now or to the right. exclusion of my responsibilities as a husband or a wife or, you know, citizen or Christian. You can't be yeah. so worried about that that it excludes those things but also then you'll never if you don't take time sabbath time for prayer enjoyment of family then you also yes. don't get the blessing from god that god intends for you probably even right right yeah again it goes back to that that balance that we're going to talk about here in in the discussion question um the discussion question says, how do you balance the necessities of this life, like work, saving for retirement, providing for your family with eternal things? How do you decide when the best you can do is just enjoy what God gives you today? Who? That's a hard one. Pastors, teachers, a lot of people that I talk to that are heavily involved in church work, this is something that we struggle with is taking that time to enjoy what God has given us without feeling guilty, without feeling like we should be right. being productive with every moment of every single day. Um, you know, this is a struggle. This is definitely a struggle. I think I, I know for me, it's definitely a struggle because I've always been, and it's so interesting because growing up, my dad was a workaholic and I'm very much like my dad. So I turned into this workaholic myself. But then as my dad got older, he would tell me, honey, slow down, smell the roses, enjoy the moment because it's not going to last, Yeah, you know? And I'm like, well, is that the pot calling the kettle black or what? You know, sure because is, but the pot's <laughs> older than, than you are. The pot's older than me. Yeah. Right. And the pot's telling me, look, I, I did this myself and, and he missed those moments and missed opportunities to just enjoy what God has given him. So there's, there's a balance. You don't want to be a glutton and a sloth, you know, because that's not good, but you don't want to be a workaholic and, and just thinking that, that everything you have to do must be productive every moment. There's, there's something in between. There's something in between. Yeah, I've thought about this a lot in my life in this sense, like diabetes, high blood pressure, and cholesterol problems here. My wife is 10 years older than me. All right, so chances are I'm going to be dead. Maybe about the, you know, 10 years, you know, because of those things. And so, you know, we throw an X amount of our money back in retirement. And I've always kind of struggled with it. Like if I can't use this stuff till I'm 67, chances are. I'm not going to be able to use this a lot. 
Right. And I've thought about what's the balance in me saying I'm putting all this money in this retirement thing. And again, Ecclesiastes says about your inheritance, who knows if the person who gets it is worth giving it to. Or even wants it. You right. Know? I mean, well, they'll want yeah. money. But anyway, I would <laughs> like to true. use as much of mine as I can. <laughs> so, but I do think about it. But this is exactly why I think about this. Like how much in my mind, knowing health issues and in my mind, knowing my wife's 10 years older than me, like, right, like. I would like to settle out a few years pretty, pretty nicely. Right. So I want to, sure. I want to save money, but at the same time, I know that tomorrow I could die. And so I want me and my wife to experience whatever fleeting enjoyment that we can have here on this earth, because it's the one I've got. It's the life I've got right, right now. Right. And so right. I don't know. Um, I have told my children they're getting nothing, which isn't true, but I want them to work hard. They'll get something. And since they're not going to watch this, I can be completely honest about it. I want them to be motivated (laughs) to know that they'll have to work hard for their money, but they'll also hopefully, if all goes well, you know, have a little um, step up. And I hope I get another 30 years on it, but we'll see what happens. Sure. Yeah. It's that balance. So teachers, man, great question for your class. How do you, how do you find that balance yeah what is it in your life uh, you know that that you need to balance out so let's figure out how to apply this to our own lives yeah this is good yeah shoot what you got well so I guess what I got out of this I think in one part of me I'm deeply thankful I live in a new testament time and I am a Christian because I think the reason why Koheleth might be so cynical about things is because the Jewish person didn't have that thought of the afterlife or or what you were taking over or a relationship with God in the same way that I think we know in Jesus Christ. Like, yeah. because we've had the teaching of Christ and we have, we have the person of Christ and we have the Holy Spirit that connects us with Christ and it puts a more of the, I don't want to say rose colored glasses, but it does. I mean, like our thought of life is that it's not going to end here. Sure. And we can enjoy like even our best enjoyment's going to be like a filthy rag when we enjoy the presence of Christ. Right. So like, yeah, as good as this is, it gets better, which is right. pretty amazing. Um, and our failures then get better <laughs> because Uh, We don't have to live in failure. We don't have to live in fear. We don't have to, you know, the lilies of the field. They neither toil nor spin, but even Solomon and all of his wonder was not clothed like uh, the fields or the, these Mm -hmm. fields. I mean, that's pretty amazing. And it's a direct, it might be not a direct opposite, but it is a difference in the way to think about life and eternity and your works and all that stuff. Absolutely. I, I agree with that wholeheartedly, you know, we live, and we've talked about this before on this, but we live in a kingdom that's now, but not yet. Mm. You know, we have the kingdom here with us. We are, we are, as a Bible project says, we are many temples. We carry around the light of Christ inside of us. And we are sharing that light wherever it is that we go with whomever it is that we speak with. Right. So we have this beautiful 
this beautiful thing here now it's just not totally realized and yeah. won't be completely realized until christ comes back so how do we enjoy this recognizing that we're living in the kingdom of god and sharing the kingdom of god with others but also dealing with the idea that you know we have mortality that we will eventually die our bodies will decompose the things that we have in this life now are going to be useless you know i mean think about how quickly our technology changes and two years the computer i'm using is going to be trash because there's going to be something so much better and 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 faster and more productive you know whatever so how do you how do you go back and forth between the two i think is is the applying that we're trying to do is how do you how do you recognize that but i am thankful that we live in a time where i know jesus i i don't have to be looking at my life and thinking it's constantly meaningless because it's not because i have i have jesus i have christ i think that i think oh go ahead no you're good i was about to say i think that kind of gets at what the discussion question is like i think it it propels us there yeah so matthew 633 let me flip there real quick and i'm reading from the esv um matthew 6 33 says but seek first the kingdom of god and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you does it so say as does, well <clears throat> does you mine does know. not say as well mine it says, just says will be added unto you it doesn't say like mm-hmm. also will be added unto you or anything Mm-mm. what version is not it? that yes esv hmm. it's interesting because like um most versions have this sense of do this and then everything else will be added into you as well, or also will be added unto you. Um, anyway, I'm not going to be a nerd, but that is interesting to me. I'll have to check yeah. that out. Um, yeah, please do. Please do. I won't do it today. I'm, I'm going to reread it just because, you know, I'm going to have to think about that. Nope. And all these things will be added to you. Yeah. Okay. That's how it ends. So how does Ecclesiastes help us understand striving for the kingdom of god and what are all these things will be given to you as well that's what it says in the question what are all these things i would say seek first the kingdom of god it's the principle would be like shoot for the moon you land among the stars yeah i love that right so like you you shoot for the moon at the at at worst you're going to be better off than you were and yeah. so the principle is if you strive for the kingdom of god the worst thing that'll happen is you've lived a pretty good life Right. But I do think it also incorporates the idea of what we've been talking about. When we seek the kingdom of God, it reshapes what we think is good. It reshapes what we think is valuable. So the the sin, if you will, or the journey of Kohelet was he went straight to women, straight to wine, straight to whatever else. But if he had gone straight to the pursuit of God, he probably could have shortcut some harm, shortcut some heartache. Right. Yeah. Because he would have been formed and shaped to say, like it took him 12 chapters to get to the, you know, fear God, obey his commandments. Right. Um, and so I think, you know, I've been around people who don't love God and they desire different things than those who are deeply in love with God. And the and the things that um, that the people who don't love God, they would not be satisfied with the same things that those who love God would be satisfied for and vice versa. Right. Mm-hmm. So I think mm-hmm. that's what that's getting to. 
I, I agree. Yeah. It shapes, you know, as I've matured and grown as a Christian, my goals in life have changed, you know, I mean, from like when I was in my early twenties, it was the big house with the white picket fence and all the property. And then you wanted to have the camper and the boat and the jet ski and the whatever. Right. And as I've grown, as, as a person, as I've grown in my relationship with Christ, I realized that these things that I thought were really important, that meant status and power and symbolism in our culture, they're not important to me anymore because it's not, it's not the way I see the world. I mean, yeah, that might be fun. Um, but my, my priorities have shifted drastically you know, because my relationship with Christ has grown. And so the things that I, that I seek out now are, are peace and balance and harmony. And you sound like an Eastern mystic there. Peace, harmony, balance, peace, harmony. Yeah. And just, and sharing the love of Jesus with everybody I meet, those are the important things to me now and, and helping people realize just how amazing God truly is. And the way he can transform your life. And I think that's really kind of what Kohelis got to in the end is that it's, it's the fear of God. That's the important thing. So yeah, that's what I've got. That's what we got. Yeah. That's good. good lesson. I like it. That was a great lesson. I do love the book of Ecclesiastes. Um, let me, before we end, do a shout out. We will be having our um, day in the park, October the 4th this year. It's going to be Reverend Sandra Shepard. Uh, going to be leading the worship and Dr. Dwayne Tyus. He's a, I think he's a moderator of the General Assembly years back. So um, hopefully we'll get a bunch of folks um, to come and, and enjoy the fellowship. The historical foundation will be there in their period get up and they will be explaining the different um, monuments that we have and ways of life back in the 1800s when the Cumberland Presbyterian Church was born. So um, that's what I got. What about you, Reverend? Mm, yep that's where i'm at now just remember hit the buttons below like and subscribe um join us in a conversation post comments to this video and let us know what you think um or if you have any other discussion questions things that we didn't touch on what did you think about that all right preach and teach with grace and power my friends and we'll see you here next week amen bye everyone <laughs>